Welcome to the CCF Podcast. We're a campus ministry at Truman State University. This podcast features sermons from our weekly worship services. Thanks for listening. Uh, it was Phil. Phil was the one who ran out of gas. A uh, couple of times that he, ago that he came, he was like around La Plata, which is so close, all the way from Indy, and then he ran out of gas. So his car, he's relying on his little computer that was like, oh, you have, your range is, you got 30 miles left. And it went from 30 to, boop, zero, cut off. But you know what? Technology didn't stop uh, Phil from getting here then, and it's certainly not going to stop him this time either. We don't need computers. We don't need internet because we have our dear friend, Phil Fardum. Hello. Thanks, Reed. Thank you so much. Yes, I did make it. It was the Kirksville Airport. That was a pretty fun phone call. I was like, hey, Reed, I'm at the Kirksville Airport. He's like, what? Did you fly here? I'm like, no. Ran out of gas. Um... <clears throat> Dad, what's the worst thing you've ever done? My 13-year-old asked me. What a question. Uh, We pride ourselves in being open with our kids. Um, So far, it's mostly been the oldest. We've got three, uh, 13, turning 14 soon, 10, and 5. But our 10-year-old's getting there quickly with the questions, and thankfully the 5-year-old just wants to play and jump on the trampoline, which is great. That's what I want to do. Um... But we want to have an open dialogue with our kids. I mean, I really do. Uh, My son Luke asked one time if um, uh, his mom and I had had sex before we were married or if I'd had sex with anyone else. I was like, I'll answer that question if you also ask mom. And we have different answers. But we answered honestly. A hard conversation, but a good one, I think. Um, But I've also been asked, Dad, have you ever looked at porn and why? Dad, did you have girlfriends in high school or middle school? What's the meanest thing you ever did to your sisters? That was kind of fun. Um, (laughs) Less fun, have you ever stolen anything? I want to have an open dialogue with my kids. I, I really do, in theory. But I think the hardest question I've ever been asked was that one. Dad, what's the worst thing you've ever done? And I immediately thought of... Okay, what's the worst thing I've ever done, or what's the worst thing I've ever done that I'm willing to admit to my 13-year-old in that moment? Uh, So I I erred with honesty and maybe not 100% forthcoming with him. So you want to know what I told him? You want to know what I didn't tell him? I think we should turn to Scripture. Uh, We're in Psalm 51 today. which begins, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Scripture tells us this was written by David, King David, a pretty important figure in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament. Not not like Moses or patriarch level, but pretty far up there. And I mean, we know even in culture, even for those who don't, you know, follow Jesus or believe in the scriptures like David and Goliath, we've all heard that phrase. Um, 
talked about a lot around March Madness, typically, but David's stories are epic, and they're throughout Scripture. That one in particular, David, so this is one of the first stories we have of him, right? He's a little kid. He's sent out to the battlefield uh, where his brothers are fighting, and there's this huge giant uh, who's part of the Philistines, these people that are challenging the people of God, and we know the great story, right? He ends up with five rocks, his sling, and he slays the giant, Goliath. He also became the second king of the Israelite people. Saul was the first, and things went south pretty quickly with him, and God chose David. I think I grew up in church thinking that Like, if if somebody's in Scripture, then they must be a hero, right? Like, to get your name in there seems like a big deal. Like, well, I guess we should model ourselves after that person, right? I mean, maybe not Judas, but, like, most people in there are, like, heroes. David wrote loads of psalms, probably many of the psalms that you guys have been looking at, but David's got a complicated story, if you know it. I don't know about that word hero. Says he was someone after God's own heart. Now that sounds good. But a hero? Is he someone to follow? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe sometimes. So David, we have chronicled uh, David's worst moment, the worst thing David ever did in his life. And 2 Samuel Chapter 11, it says, In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. And then we start on what becomes David's worst moment. So David wasn't doing his job. That's probably for another sermon. Stays home. Everybody's out fighting for him in honor of him, and he's sitting around, pacing. He's in the palace doing whatever kings do when they're bored, walking around, and he looks down, and he sees a woman named Bathsheba, who's evidently naked and bathing, and David decides, I think I'll have her. And so he sends for her. And they are together, She goes home, and she ends up pregnant. Now, the the intro to our psalm says that this is after this had happened, and I think it even maybe uses the word adultery, at least in my text. It says, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba, which he did, but is that really what we're talking about? I think it might be worse. Thousands of years ago, a king sends for someone. Like, what was Bathsheba's autonomy in this moment? Painful to say, but I think rape might be more of an appropriate word in this situation. Which is bad. That is not good. That doesn't sound like what a hero does. But wait, it gets worse. So, she ends up pregnant. So David thinks, okay, all right, messed up here. I got to cover this thing up. I've got a plan. 
anybody ever been there? You make one mistake and you pile it on with another. So David sends for Bathsheba's husband, who's fighting on his behalf, Uriah the Hittite, brings him back home from the battlefield to hear his stories. And then he's like, hey, by the way, you know, go home tonight. You know, go see your wife. You know, do things that you do with your wife. But Uriah chooses not to. Uriah acts honorably. He sleeps on the stoop instead of going home to his wife, because how could he enjoy being home while his men are out fighting and dying even? So that didn't work. So David tries again with a little bit of wine, tries to get him drunk the next night, like, okay, all right, we can make this happen, right? People make bad decisions when they drink too much. But Uriah, despite having too much to drink, still chooses, no, 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 I'm sleeping on the stoop. So David piles on one more time and sends Uriah with a note that will lead to his own death. Sealed, he takes it to the battlefield with a plan to advance against the enemy and then pull back and leave Uriah to die. I'd call that murder, or at least conspiracy of murder. He keeps piling on and piling on, which is what happens sometimes when we get caught in sin, right? There's the one, and then, okay, one more cover-up, and then I'll fix that, and then, okay, well, I, I can't go back now. This is the nature and the tendency. But David has a friend named Nathan. Nathan tells David, he knows what's happened, and he tells David this parable about two farmers. One rich farmer has lots of land and sheep and all the things that you had back then when you were rich. Then there's a poor farmer with just one little lamb. So somebody rich comes to town and the rich, or somebody important comes to town and the rich farmer, instead of taking one of his own sheep, takes the one sheep, the one possession that the poor farmer had and slays that for their feast. And David's indignant. Oh, how did, what an awful, awful person, right? And then Nathan nails him and says, you are that rich farmer. David's friend Nathan confronted him, and David's reply is, I have sinned against the Lord. Brutal. He is confronted with all the choices he's made piled on top of each other. And it's from this posture that he writes, continuing in verse 3 of Psalm 51, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. So I'm not here to talk about David the hero. He's not the hero of this story. He piles horrible, egregious mistakes on top of each other and only repents when he's called out by his friend. But that repentance, that confession, is powerful. Can you remember the most powerful confession you've ever made in your life? I think a lot of times we relegate confession to our Catholic 
brothers and sisters and priests, right? I think we've maybe messed this up in the Protestant and evangelical movement. I think last time I was here, I spoke about my most powerful confession, a time when I was living not as I should have. But I can also remember the most powerful confession I've ever received. Um, I... So I was a part of a CCF a long time ago, and uh, after undergrad, went to Chile to help start a campus ministry, spent some time there, um, and I got invited back a few years later to speak at a, at a retreat there, which was a lot of fun. This was like, I don't know, 08, 09, and I only remember two things from that retreat, going back as retreat speaker. Uh, I told this story about flying from Buenos Aires to Madrid and this terrible turbulence, and Evidently, the whole bit of that story, I, I pronounced turbulence incorrectly in Spanish. So I said turbulencia, which sounds, you know, everybody knew what I was talking about. It's evidently turbulencia. Uh, messed up the vowel there. So I got razzed the whole weekend for turbulencia. Um, it's just fun <clears throat> and humbling, <clears throat> just when you think you've mastered a language. Um, so I remember turbulencia. And then I remember after, I don't even remember what I was speaking on, but I remember on, on Saturday night, um, we kind of had a time if somebody wanted to share something, they could, you know, take a staff member aside or offer, you know, to speak with anyone who had anything they needed to talk about. And a young man, um, we'll call him Josue, uh, asked to speak with me and we went over to the side and I, I knew a little bit of his story. He was a leader in the ministry, but he had when he had first gotten to college, had lived like really, really wild, uh, kind of the typical college partying thing. I knew this much, at least, about his background. Uh, but he was, he had kind of come back to his faith, the faith of his youth. Uh, he was a leader, uh, kind of a leader among leaders in the ministry. Uh, he had a girlfriend who was also involved. They were like close to getting engaged. But he wanted to share with me something that was heavy on him something that only him and his physician knew about. Uh, during that wild time where he made a lot of bad choices in his life, um, he ended up contracting HIV, so he was positive. And his parents didn't know. His soon-to-be fiancé didn't know. Nobody on staff knew. And in that moment, he felt like he needed to just tell someone. So I remember sitting and crying and praying uh, with Josue and trying to encourage him to to share and open up to people about that, the most shameful thing in his life. Um, I'll never forget that moment. You can, I could almost sense like a lifting of something on him. And he did go on to share with his parents, with his girlfriend, who then became his fiance. And they had two kids together, and he is fine and healthy, and I am grateful that this story is from the 0809 time and not 1988, when maybe there was a different result from all that. Confession can be a powerful, powerful thing in our lives, and I think David is getting at that in this psalm. Let me continue. Verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop. And I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the, let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. 
Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Despite David's epic failures and sins, I think this psalm gets at the heart of God as well as the heart of humankind. And if God, if our God can receive David after all he did, then why can't he receive you? And why can't he receive me? What is it that you've done that you can't confess aloud or you feel like you cannot confess aloud? Is there something? Is there something that you need to lay down before God? Because I believe God wants to use that thing for good, even if it was atrocious like David's sins were. Let's finish up the psalm. Then I will teach trans transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. And you, who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite spirit. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. So I'll say it again David isn't the hero of our story, of our psalm. <clears throat> but God certainly used David to write what I think is a powerful psalm. Full of gospel themes. Did you guys notice that? God of mercy, unfailing love, faithfulness, forgiveness, cleansing, joy, gladness, God's presence, the Holy Spirit, salvation, righteousness. This psalm is full of gospel. It is full of good news. And all of that was shared through this very, very flawed human. And I believe God wants to share these same things through you and through me. Uh, last night I heard about uh, last week's message on Psalm 139 that Reed shared, I think on Wednesday. And if you were here, it sounds like an, a powerful evening was had. If you weren't here, you should listen. But of all those things, all those things, nothing, nothing disqualifies you. So I think back to my opening question, Dad, what's the worst thing you've ever done? But I don't think that question matters. I'm not sure it's a good question, because the answer to that question does not define me. I'm also not sure I even know. <laughs> like if we talk about, I know what I thought in that moment, but I'm not sure the most shameful thing I've ever done is the worst thing I've ever done. I mean, we can think about, sure, sins of commission, but what about sins of omission? What about the good I didn't do? 
anyway, wax philosophical there. But that worst thing that I have done does not define me, and it does not define you either. There may still be consequences, but it does not define you. If we take that thing to God, and if we can confess to whoever our Nathan is in our life, then I believe that God can and will forgive us and help us move forward. And as the psalm says, God might even use that thing for good. Because that's who our God is. God can take the worst. He doesn't cause the worst. He doesn't like it. But our God can turn that into something good. If we're willing to go to him to confess and allow him to use that thing. Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful that I am not defined by my worst moment, that I'm not defined by the times when I was running from you, where I was actively disobedient, by the times when I was just foolish. God, thank you that even in those moments you were there, but you were calling us to something else. God, give us courage and boldness to be able to speak what might feel unspeakable right now. Because, God, I believe and I hope and I trust that there is something good waiting. That you desire redemption. That you want to see us made whole. You you want to cleanse us with whatever hyssop is. (laughs) God, Give us what we need. Help us to step forward. God, give us the Nathans in our life who will speak truth when they see it. Truth and love, but truth. God, we love you. We trust you. And we put all of our hope in you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.